2: We get to talk real baseball things on the 155th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. It's the most exciting time of April, I guess. I don't want to say <laughs> the year because, like, everything like middle of the season promotions, and we get to the All Star break, playoffs. Like, there's other times of the year that are exciting. Opening Day would probably be foremost on that list. But now we're a week in. Now it's just like, all right, now we're into the meat of it.
1: Let's go. Yeah. For it. But- Right, there's actual things to talk about. Yeah. There's no no more predictions anymore. Yeah. Um, although you, shut up me, shut and up. Kelsey, and Josh have had a pretty fun time of already trying to update everybody on our predictions and who's right and who's wrong already. Which... Josh,
2: at Josh Jackson, MILB on Twitter is basically just going to be Casey Goldenwatch for the rest of the year. <laughs> 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 which, you know, I think we're all fine with. Yeah, um, that's fine. Yeah, and I do love the idea, by the way. If you tuned in last week, you got a chance to hear our preseason predictions from uh, myself. I'm Tyler Mon. by the way. He's Sam Dykstra. Uh, me, Sam, Kelsey Hennigan, and Josh Jackson, two of our other writers uh, on the site. And Sam had the idea the other day that maybe monthly during the season he will uh, be posting updates on whose predictions look best. And, um, you know, my Bauman Award – home run winner, uh, has not even hit the field yet. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure I'm going to look great month after month. <laughs>
1: sure yeah. Be. L-
2: to be fair, Eloy Jimenez is on the way back, but, um, right.
1: Yeah. Which you knew it was coming. <laughs> Surely you bake that into your analysis, right? Tyler? Oh yeah. Totally. Totally. Of course. of course. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, it's, it's all very well thought out analysis. If you've ever listened to this podcast before, you know that I just bring the hardest hitting facts <laughs> something like that um so with that we welcome you into the 155th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com I am Tyler he is Sam thanks for tuning in wherever you found us we've got uh, a ton of new listeners over the last several weeks we like blew up with listeners over the offseason which means this season is going to be nuts I think the more people realize that you know we're not going anywhere I think you you're forced to be stuck with us um <laughs> No, you tune into Sam for the good stuff, and then you're like, oh, God, the other one who talks all the time. He's annoying. But wherever you found us, uh, (laughs) you can catch up on past episodes at MILB.com slash podcast. We're also on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on the Stitcher app, wherever else you get your podcasts. And give us some feedback. Ratings, reviews, subscriptions, always appreciated. Podcast at MILB.com as well. And um, that gets us started on this week's edition of minor league baseball almost a full week into the 2018 campaign and um, we've got some early storylines that are already pretty interesting to watch and we decided to open up three strikes this week with the top standouts from the first nearly week of play we're recording on Tuesday this week but uh, nearly a full week in. Sam who's caught your eye early on
1: yeah, we're not going to do this every week, obviously. People who live, listened last year will know that. But anybody else who's, who's new and is on, we're not going to be saying, here's everything that happened in the last week. But listen, baseball is back. This is great. We actually have games to talk about. It's no longer, well, this is just spring training or, um, you know, these are grapefruit or cactus league games. We don't know the competition. Everybody's where they're going to be for a little bit. Everybody's settling in. We can actually talk about what they're doing, how they're surprising us. Um, all of that. So uh, in this kind of first week, I've got two guys I want to bring up real fast, uh, one of which is Brendan McKay uh, in the race system, uh, you know, top five pick last year coming out of Louisville. The plan with him is basically to be Shohei Otani light. Um, you know, he's going to be playing some first base at Class A Bowling Green. He's going to be pitching, taking his turns in the rotation um, at a much lever, level, uh, lower level than Otani is obviously um, so, you know, as much as we want to be enthused by what McKay is doing, you know, there's plenty of caveats going in there, the Rays they want this experiment to work. So they're starting him out at Bowling Green. They want him to get confidence doing both, getting comfortable with both without having to worry about competition level. Um, but he's doing extremely well in both roles so far. Uh, he's played three games, or he's hit in three games, excuse me, for Bowling Green, uh, going five for nine with six walks in that span. Uh, he has a double five rbis as well so he's walked six times struck out only twice his line as of today is 556 733 667 uh, which is nuts again it's only three games but for a guy who's going to be juggling a bunch of stuff that's exactly what you want out of him Uh, he made his pitching debut his full season pitching debut Uh, Last night, we're recording this on Tuesday this week. So on Monday night, he made his debut for the Hot Rods. Two perfect innings, four strikeouts. You know, struck out two-thirds of the batters he faced. Bang, bang, boom, outing done, move on. Um, Now, for McKay, there are a lot of questions on how this is going to work. At basically any turn, any time he goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts or gives up three runs in three innings, somebody's going to be asking the question, okay, is it time to give up one or the other? Um, so for him to be answering the questions already in this fashion is really interesting. Um, I think the Rays, you know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, got got a little passive in sending him here. Uh, normally college bats, college arms, especially one of his caliber are starting out at least at Class A advance. Um, but because they're trying to get him to do both, they wanna see him thrive doing both. Um, so thus the starting out at Bowling Green if he continues to hit, I'm not saying he's going to hit 556 forever, um, but if he continues to show a mastery of the strike zone on both levels, uh, in both roles, wouldn't be surprised if he's in Charlotte by May or you know early June before uh, the the Midwest League All-Star break. Um, you know maybe they try to move him up quick if he, the more he proves himself. But uh, very promising first week for Brendan McKay uh, in his first full season. The other one I want to br- bring up real fast is Jack Flaherty. Uh, Flaherty actually broke with the major league club this year um, after Adam Wainwright had to go on the disabled list uh, did pretty well in his first start of the year with the Cardinals five innings pitch one run allowed nine strikeouts uh, six hits and one walk um, you know good enough to say like he should probably still be here but Wainwright comes back off the DL too many guys in, in the St. Louis rotation Flaherty's the one who gets kicked down which is kind of fine. The guy's still 22 and as well as he did uh, in that one start to begin the year. Still had some major league struggles at the end of last year. Let him prove himself in Memphis and he's certainly done that. Uh, he's made one start for A Memphis. Seven innings, 11 strikeouts in that one. No walks, one run on five hits. Um, again, pitching like somebody who should be in the majors. Uh, you know, you're not going to kick out Adam Wainwright and he's basically their number five starter right now for the Cardinals. Um, but... You know, Flaherty, all he has to do is just keep pitching like he's pitching and they'll find a role for him at some point. Uh, you know, injuries happen over the course of a long season. We're barely – we're not even in mid-April really technically yet. So uh, those, those opportunities will come for him. If he continues to shove in the PCL like he did last year, uh, he'll A, be proving that his 2017 breakout is real. And that he is a very legitimate prospect. And that just gives the Cardinals another really impressive arm. And, you know, they could potentially be adding another one down the line when Alex Reyes shows he's fully healthy and recovered from Tommy John surgery. So, um, you know, Flaherty is a reason to buy stock in the Cardinals right now. They have other ones. Uh, Luke Weaver is another young pitcher. uh, No longer a prospect, but in that rotation. So uh, really, really interesting to see how he's handled these first two starts and how much of it he can kind of carry it going forward.
2: Um, first, before I dive into mine, sometimes you get sabotaged by your own website, and there's an autoplay video, and you don't have the tabs muted, and so Sam was in the middle of making a point if you caught like two seconds of a Tums commercial on MILB.com. Um, that's why, but I can't cut it out. Just Sam was in the middle of making a great point. So there you go. Now you have the explanation. And if it wasn't in there, if it didn't get picked up in the recording, this is a very weird tangent, and don't worry about it at all. Um, <laughs> Vlad Guerrero Jr. has started off on fire for the uh, New Hampshire Fisher Fishercats, double affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays, as has pretty much everybody else on that. roster and uh, this actually segues us very well into introducing our guest for today who you will hear from in just a little while john schneider the manager of that double a new hampshire team will join us coming up here in just a little bit sam got a chance to catch up with him earlier but that team is just so loaded right now between Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. Just those two, really. And then you get Kevin Biggio and some of the other guys who are on that roster. Um, they are a very, very fun team to watch. And Vlad, through his first five games this season, is already 6 of 18 with three doubles and two homers. He is slugging eight thirty-three through five games. And in the one hitless game that he had this year, he walked twice. So, Four walks this season to one strikeout. Everything about Vlad's line is just mouth-watering right now if you're a Blue Jays fan who is really excited to see him what he's going to be able to do at the major league level. Um, and in the other side uh, of the league alignment, a National League prospect, Tyler O'Neill, now the Memphis Redbirds, a former Seattle Mariners prospect, traded to the St. Louis Cardinals last year, and one of the real great guys in minor league baseball, um, Tyler O'Neill, who, by the way, feels like we've been talking about Tyler O'Neill forever still only 22 years old and he's at the PCL and just crushing to get the season started again. Like Sam said, limited sample sizes all around, of course, for all these guys, but Tyler O'Neill started the season. 0 for five with two strikeouts on opening night for Memphis at round rock. The next day, 3-for-6, 10 total bases. He had two homers, a double, drove in five, scored three times. He's got hits in four straight games, including multiple hits in three of those four games. Had a 3-for-4 day at Round Rock back on the 8th. He had six total bases that day because that included a homer. He actually hit home runs in three straight games. Um, Tyler O'Neill very very close to being a finished product very very close to being a guy who can help at the major league level with st louis um and just an easy dude to root for as well you know he's going to be able to hit wherever he goes rounding out the defensive characteristics that the cardinals want to see from him to make him an everyday outfielder in the major leagues i think is probably the last hoop that he's got to jump through to make it to the majors and stick there but um we don't really expect anything less from Tyler O'Neill offensively. It's still just jaw-dropping when you see what he does offensively. Um, and so far, similarly to Vlad, an 880 slugging percentage for Tyler O'Neill. The only thing that he has not done compared to Vlad is walked. He doesn't have any walks this year. He has five strikeouts, but he's nine for his first 25. And that roster, that offense, really, really talented as well for Memphis.
1: Yeah, and they're coming off a PCL title. And, you know, they had a loaded outfield last year, and then they have another loaded one this year. Harrison Bader currently up with St. Louis. Um, and it's just fascinating to me with O'Neill that, you know, I would love to see him get major league time, regular major league time, finally, after getting traded from the Mariners to the Cardinals, um, some loaded outfields in in those two places. Yeah. But, yeah, the way the Cardinals are currently set up, Dexter Fowler, Marcelo Zuna, and Tommy Pham coming off the you know, season of his life, trying to find spots for these guys yeah. is, is nearly impossible. So, you know, let O'Neill mash as, as long as he can. Let him get his regular bats prove that he's worthy. Maybe he gets a, sh- a shot in another third system or something. But, um, yeah, it's it's fun to see him continue to hit like he does. I remember one of the Cardinals writers this spring tweeted out that he got hit by a pitch in the arm, and it was the uh, ball that uh, apologized to him.
2: <laughs> Tyler O'Neill is the most – Terrifying physical specimen. Oh, terrifying physical specimens of minor league. Since Aaron Judge graduated, Tyler O'Neill is just a wall of muscle, and it's it's somewhat frightening. Um, but uh, a really good start and something to be excited about for Cardinals fans. Strike two this week, Sam. Uh, we have rules changes. I don't know if any heard about this, but there are rules changes in minor league baseball this year, including one. Each team gets a extra innings with a runner up at second base. I know it's crazy. You didn't hear anything about it. It kind of flew under the radar. Um, but we did have our first uh, instance of that being used on opening night. We actually had multiple extra inning games on opening night. Uh, but Harrisburg and Bowie snuck in the wire to be the first game to use the extra innings rule. What would have been interesting and kind of hilarious is had their game got a little bit longer uh, in the regulation nine, the first game that would have used the extra innings rule – would have used it in the eighth inning because Oklahoma City and Iowa had to play an opening day doubleheader, as did a handful of games, uh, a handful of teams in the Pacific Coast League due to some weather. In the second game of that doubleheader, they went to extras, but it was only a scheduled seven-inning game. So they started playing with that rule in the eighth inning, which would have been kind of hilarious if we went through all this over the off season and it ended up being used in the eighth inning. A moot point now because that wasn't the case, but Harrisburg and Bowie end up using it. Harrisburg, it took until the 13th inning. But the Senators end up winning that game 10-9. to 9. Um, We got some reaction on the side from Matt LeCroy, the winning manager in that ballgame of the Harrisburg Senators. And, uh, you know, we're off and running with it. It's, you know, five days in. We haven't heard anything insane happening with it as of yet. I did find it uh, interesting that it was designed to speed up the game, get runs scored, finish games earlier. Didn't necessarily do the last two of the or do the last thing of those three, uh, in getting games done a little bit quicker, and that it still went to the 13th. But man, it did exactly what it was designed to do in generating runs that ended up as a 10 9 game. It was 4 4 after nine innings. So, um, Sam, just your, your initial thoughts having seen this in practice so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, there were so many storylines on that first day, you hit on a bunch of them. Um, just trying to explain to the casual observer. Uh, who hadn't paid attention to the rules, you know, that the potential first extra innings game. Uh,
2: or, or Andrew, Andrew Tolls. Doesn't
1: even have to be yeah. a casual observer. Uh, <coughs> would have been just trying to explain, like, hey, by the way, the eighth is an extra inning in this minor league baseball game. Also, because it's an extra inning, that means a guy's being sent out to second base. And, oh, by the way, this is the first time this has ever happened. Um, just would have been hilarious. And, obviously, that did happen. Happened with OKC in Iowa. But if that had been literally the first time the rule had been used, uh, would would have been just so funny to me. But uh, you're right. You did that story on Harrisburg. And uh, it was it was just funny to me as well that that game went. What was it? 13, you said. 13 innings. Yes. Yes. So, this rule that's designed to shorten up games, and so many people we've talked to, Tyler, between the two of us, who have said, you know, you don't want games going 14, 15 innings, and then the first one still goes 13, um, just kind of underlies how much of an experiment this still is. Um, Nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen until the season starts, until we get more and more data on this. You know, at some point in the season, the story has it actually limited extra innings? I'll try to get into that. Um, Later in the season, I don't want to do it after one week when the the sample is still relatively small. Um, But some some of the times it's been exactly how we expected. I I have the box score right now in front of me of a game that happened yesterday uh, between Jacksonville and Jackson. um, Which is always hilarious and trying to decide who is who in the box score. But uh, this game was at Jackson. Uh, The game was two to two after nine, went to the 10th. Uh, Jacksonville got to hit in the top of the 10th. They did not score, so it's still 2-2 going to the bottom of the 10th. This is how that bottom of the 10th went. Runner starts at second base. That runner is bunted over to third base, so there's one out. Intentional walk, intentional walk to load the bases, and then a walk-off single, which is basically what I expected to happen uh, when games went into the bottom half of an inning with the game still tied. I, I thought this is kind of why I'm against this rule, at least this form of the rule. Um, because that's just boring baseball to me, to be honest with you. A bunt and then two intentional walks and a basic single is just kind of boring. Um, so the, to see that it has played out how I expected in that way is kind of interesting. But also seeing how teams deal with it when they're on the road, when you are the team batting in the top half of the end of a tie game, you, you are not necessarily going to do this. You're not necessarily going to bunt the runner over. Uh, we've seen this a couple times. You know, it's not just going to be trying to get that one run in because you know the other team. And the second half of the inning is going to be trying to do the same thing. So you're not as willing to give up outs. You're going to be playing for multiple runs. You're going to tell guys to swing away and that whole thing. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see how else we learn about things. Maybe we'll be able to see some trends within specific teams, specific organizations, all that kind of stuff. But um, the early returns is that we still have a lot to learn from this. Um, It's it's not as weird as I, I thought it would be uh it it kind of already feels normal after just a couple days and uh yeah we'll have to see what kind of wacky crazy trends we can find as the year goes on
2: yeah i did get you know kind of one snarky tweet response uh which was ostensibly referring to rob manfred and said something about dude wants to speed up the games and it still goes 13 innings. That's why this is so stupid, which completely misses the point because the rule did exactly what it was designed to do and that it generated offense. It collected runs for these teams. Whether or not the teams are able to stop the other team from scoring is not contingent on the rule. That's contingent on your execution on the field. So the rule did exactly what it was intended to do. I think if your argument is with the rule and the way the rule itself is set up, Sam, as you were just pointing out, I think that's valid. Um, But I don't think that the implementation of the rule, when it's working as it's designed is something that really can be called out for being stupid. If you don't like the rule, that's one thing, but you can't say the rule doesn't work. I mean, that's the the whole point of the rule is to generate these offensive opportunities. It was uh, kind of interesting talking to Matt Leakroy, He said, you know, I'm a traditionalist. I don't really like it, but our guys will adjust to it, um, and it gives them an opportunity to learn a different environment to execute in. Uh, that, I think, is how most of these teams are going to approach it. You want to be scoring from second base all the time, and it's something that I know Josh Jackson talked with Chris Getz, the White Sox director of player development, about down in spring training that teams want to score runners from second base with nobody out in every context of every baseball game ever. Now that you're getting that artificially put into a game scenario, you're really getting to practice something that you want to be able to execute all other times in the season. So I think teams are really looking at it as kind of an in-game opportunity for something like that, uh, that they're going to get more looks at as the season goes along um, just because of the way that that rule is is going to force that on them. So I like the fact that teams have more often than not taken the approach of, yeah, it's different, it's weird, we may not necessarily like it, but we're going to adjust to it. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. so, that is, uh, you know, uh, not a point that I would imagine is going to be without its contention for the rest of the season. But
1: we'll see. <laughs> I think everybody's going to get used to it. Like, everybody, yeah. not just yeah. us. Like, we ha- we lot watch tons of box scores every night and every day and all that kind of stuff. So, it's kind of normalized to us by now. But I feel like everybody in the, the sport or casual fans will probably be over it by May, I would think.
2: We did hear um, – not quite the same uproar, but we heard a significant uproar with the pitch clocks and nobody remembers the pitch clocks exist. <laughs> you never, you go to a double A AA or triple A game and now down the line, nobody remembers the pitch clocks no. exist. Like it's just not something that factors into a game. This obviously is a much more overt thing and it changes, um, you know, the way baseball has been played traditionally, but it's, I certainly don't think it's something that's going to come into play quite as much as everybody expected, and I really don't think everybody is going to be that up in arms about it. People just don't like change, and I understand that. Messing with something that they think is the fabric of, of what they enjoy about a sport, that's fine. We covered all this when we first talked about it, but through the first, um, you know, nearly week, I think it's been interesting to see it's played out pretty much the way it was designed. Um, strike three this week, Sam. We have uh, a lot of opening day assignments to evaluate and tool shed this week. Takes a look at some of the most aggressive and some of the least aggressive assignments for prospects out of the gate. Um, give us a rundown of some of the ones that really kind of caught your eye, stood out, where some of these guys are starting in twenty
1: eighteen. Yeah, I want to start in the uh, A system. Uh, um, with Jesus Luzardo. Um, this was a guy who a lot of you might know for kind of his off-the-field stuff. You know, this is a guy who's a Stoneman Douglas alum. He, he uh, attached his name to a lot of the effort this spring with, you know, baseball trying to help out that school after the school shooting and um, just kind of being a, a public face of, uh, you know, here is somebody you know involved in the sport who is tied to this school that's been in the news. Um, but he is a very legit... Uh, you know, pitching prospect. Last year, he came back from Tommy John surgery. He was in the national system, ends up getting moved over to Oakland um, and threw only 43 and a third innings. Um, but his stuff is really special. His changeup is really good. His fastball is really good. Uh, and Oakland just decides, you know what, we're going to skip him over Class A entirely. They start him at, this year at Class A Advanced Stockton. Um, I find that really interesting for a couple reasons, um, most of which is that teams aren't usually rushing to put their pitchers in the California league. Um, So the fact that they think he can play there right away and they're not worried about what's going to happen when he goes to Lancaster or um, some of these other really offense rich environments uh, is really interesting to me. But, um, you know, this, this guy's only 20 years old, uh, certainly showed that he's capable of being put back on that track of, you know, if if he didn't get injured during his draft year, you know, he was taken in the third round 2016, if that, if he didn't have the surgery that year, he would probably be in class A Advanced now anyways. So they're basically putting him back in line, but it still feels aggressive for somebody who's, you know, only thrown 43 and a third innings of pro ball, like I said, uh, to just skip over a level entirely. Um, but, you know, he responded pretty well in his first outing. Uh, again, I don't want to look too much into one start, but only gave up one run on four hits and a walk, struck out six over four and a two-third innings, basically did everything we saw out of him last year between the GCL, the AZL, and the New York Penn League. Um, so gonna be really interesting to see what they do with him going forward. Um, Kyle Tucker, who we've talked about, you know, the the Astros deciding to push him to AAA Fresno to begin the year. Only really had half his season last year at Corpus Christi. Uh, he only turned 21 in January, but that's okay they saw enough out of him in the spring and they saw enough out of him last year in the Texas league to think, you know what, let's just put him one spot away. Uh, that should be kind of telling to us to say that, you know what, the Astros, if they are willing to put him that close to the majors, it's possible he's up there, you know, first half of the season. Um, you know, they're not taking a slow road with him. This is a team that's looking to compete. It wants to re- repeat more than just compete. And they, they're going to take an all hands on deck approach. So if they, you know, find an opening in that outfield. They think Kyle Tucker can fill it. They're gonna go for it probably, which is really exciting. Uh, more on the aggressive side, Adrian Morahone. He also goes to Lake Elsinore, another really promising left-handed pitcher in the Padre system. Uh he's only nineteen, so he's even younger than Luzardo. Uh doesn't have the injury history necessarily that he does, but he does have relatively uh, the lack of experience the same way Luzardo does only through 63 innings last year, uh, in his stateside debut. Um, but this is a Padre system that, you know, they start out Fernando Tatis again at AA San Antonio this year, uh, as, as he's kind of getting towards the end of his teenage years, they're, they're willing to get aggressive with talents that they really like. And they, they think they can push, uh, Joey Lucchese, you know, in the majors now he's, he skipped over A as well. Um, so the Padres, when they like somebody, they're going to push them, um, that's really exciting from that aspect uh in terms of least aggressive assignments ronald acuna jr being back at triple a Gwinnett can't really have that conversation without naming him directly been a little bit of a rough start for him but he did go two for four today with a walk picking up his first hit it was a double the left field uh, he'll pick up steam again probably will be in atlanta you know if not by this weekend very soon um Willie Calhoun, kind of same boat, being back in Round Rock, really expected him to be, at least in the discussion, to be the left fielder in Texas on opening day. Um, and they decided to send him down to Round Rock pretty early in spring training. I thought that was kind of passive after he was one of the PCL's best hitters last year. Uh, he's going to be back in the PCL this time around. Uh, one duo that surprised me was Stephen Gonzalez and uh, Nick Gordon in the twin system, both of which are back at A Chattanooga. Uh, Gonzalez did pretty well last year with the Lookouts, posting a 2.68 ERA with 96 strikeouts. Uh, Gordon set a, a career high with nine home runs, had a career best 7.49 OPS in 122 games at the at the Double A level last year. He's somebody who has steadily rose up the ranks through the Twin System ever since ever since he was a first round pick. Uh, he's basically gone up one team a year. And the fact that he posted career highs last year, you would th- think he was going to A Rochester. That's not the case. It's um, going to be really interesting to see if they get moved quickly or if they still have a lot to prove there. If it's just you know, some roster crunch stuff, I don't know exactly what's going on there in that Minnesota system, but those are two guys I was expecting to be in the IL. Uh, they will be in the, the Southern League to start the year. And one more just hit on real fast, Austin Hayes. Uh, in the Baltimore Orioles system, one of the breakout stars last year. uh, He spent half the year at Double A Bowie and hit 330 with 16 homers and a 960 OPS there. Uh, They liked enough of what they saw to send him to the majors at the end of the year. Again, I thought he was somebody who could kind of be in that outfield discussion in the major leagues. And and the fact that – they sent him down pretty early. It's fine. I get that. You know, he's still pretty young. Last year was his first full season. Um, but the fact that they sent him back down to Bowie instead of to A Norfolk is really interesting to me. Um, I thought he – I mean, you hit 330 at a level with 16 homers. I feel like you have nothing left to prove there. Um, that might just be the spot that they, they want him getting comfortable to start out the year, and maybe they'll move him up quickly again. But um, it, it's really rare to see somebody who got a significant – chunk of major league time and one season to be sent back to double a the following year um so we'll be keeping an eye on some of these guys what do these aggressive assignments mean for them what does it mean if they got passive assignments um some of those questions could be answered pretty quickly like acuna like i said could be up in atlanta pretty quick um but yeah read that story it's up on the site now that was the tool shed from last friday it is up
2: on the site right now. There's some really good stuff in there that you can check out at MILB.com as I'm being attacked by a bug inside my house. and uh, that uh, Everything's going off the rails now. So the bugs <laughs> come in. It's spring. They're tagging you during the podcast. Everything's crazy. But, no, check out Sam School Shed comments at MILB.com right now. We did have one foul ball that I forgot to tell you about, Sam. Mm. Um, but one foul ball that I actually got uh, on an email from uh, a, a listener named Char Belfield, who is a uh, Rochester – Red Wings, I don't know if native or resident or what, but subject line was Mother Nature versus the IL North. And in it was a link to a column from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, which touched on the fact that the Rochester Red Wings still right now, I mean, we're going into play on what is effectively the sixth day of the minor league season. Rochester's played one game that their entire opening series uh, snowed out in Rochester. And the question basically was with rough weather, in the northern climates, why is it that southern climates don't consistently get scheduled, especially in a league like the International League, to be the opening locations for a season? And there's an interesting column, like I said, in the Democrat and Chronicle, um, which is all about that discussion and why, in fact, that may be the case. Um not being privy, and this is something that Benjamin Hill would probably have some good insight on since Ben has talked with people about what it takes to undertake the massive uh, task that is scheduling for leagues, but it's not having any expertise on that. The The thing that is the biggest driver for minor league baseball teams is getting dates More and more home dates later and later in the season because through April and in May and into June in some academic calendars, families on weeknights especially are not really turning out for regular season games. When you get late into June, into July, into August, that's the sweet spot. That's when you want as many home games as possible. My thought process more than likely for this is that the International League at some point has to throw a bone to the Gwinnetts of the world, the Charlottes of the world, Durham, all that, that they're not going to consistently be opening up at home and having games in the middle of weeks in April um, when they really would like to get those home dates in June or July. Uh, Is it a perfect system? No. Because as you saw this weekend in Rochester, you can get hit with a storm and you can see three days already washed out of the season, which is not just something that you take as a hit because everybody's excited for opening day. And all of a sudden, you're not going to have the festivities the way you dreamed of them all offseason. But you also lose those home dates entirely. And this year, the International League schedule has already been cut down by a couple of days. Now you're looking at a couple of days less revenue because you're going to have to make up those games with double doubleheaders, cetera. Um, but I think the other thing that plays into this is while the odds may not have been as good as in the southern climates, Still a decent chance you're going to end up with a week of relatively normal weather anyway. And it's just such a crapshoot to throw out, you know, several months in advance all right, we're gonna put this team at home in this week because historically it's been a good weather week. Um, they're gonna have to play at home in April at some point anyway, and whether you back it up a week or not, there are still chances you're gonna get extreme weather anyway. So it's uh, it's difficult, I think, because of the fact that it was just so glaringly thrust in front of everybody's eyes because of the weather. But it's really a no win situation in something like
1: that. Yeah, and I was just looking at the IL. You know, I, I brought up the standings in front of me, and there's really like five teams I can see that you can almost guarantee that there will be snow no snow. Um which isn't great. You know, this is a what? Uh six, ten, fourteen league yeah, fourteen team league. And there's five I can say like it they're definitely probably not gonna get snow first week of April. Those are Louisville, Gwinnett, Charlotte, Durham, and Norfolk. The other nine teams, you know, you're it's a roll of the dice no matter what. You know, your Pawtuckets, your Syracuses, your even Columbus, Indianapolis, you know, Toledo. There's always a chance that there's some lake effect stuff still going on there. Um, So, yeah, it is a crapshoot completely. Uh, You know, it's unfortunate that this year, looking at Rochester's schedule, uh, you know, they're scheduled against Buffalo and Syracuse for their first two series. Nobody wants to be in any of those three cities, really. at at that time of the year, at least to play baseball, at least to play an outdoor sport for potentially three hours. Um, But in order to make everything work, in order to get all this calculus going, it's not as easy as just saying, okay, northernmost teams, you're heading south, and then we'll figure it out from there. Um, It's just, you know, this is one of those wacky years, and maybe next year we're not talking about this at all, not because they figured it out, but because, you know, it's one of those 50-degree stretches in April as well. So, Um, Yeah, it's just kind of unfortunate, but uh, it it, it could be a one-off for all we know.
2: So, big thanks to uh, a yet another loyal listener in uh, in the Rochester area, Sharp Belfield for getting in touch. And you can do the same, podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter at milb. Benjamin Hills on Twitter at Ben's Biz. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, let us know if you got questions, stuff like this. Um, and we'll check with Ben on this as well. We already talked to Ben for this week's edition of the show. But we'll check with Ben uh, as to if he has any insight on how weather is taken into account early on in the season and these types of scheduling scenarios but unfortunately for the international league you got a lot of spots like sam was saying got a lot of spots that could be inundated by terrible weather through april so um not one of the ones that is easiest as scheduling goes along but you know it's part of baseball in april too every once in a while you get to see fernando rodney out there trying to catch snowflakes with an open mouth in the middle of a baseball game so it makes it great
1: <laughs> yeah That. Like it just makes for great gifs, which is really what we do yeah. this for, I think.
2: <laughs> that's, that's all anybody does anything for anymore. Um, so that's three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show. Coming up, John Schneider, the manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats, a loaded roster that includes Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Sean Reed Foley, now the number 10 prospect in the Blue Jay system. We had a terrific start back on Sunday. Uh, a lot of ranked prospects in that Toronto organization on that roster. And John Schneider joins the show to talk about it coming up next.
1: And we're joined this week on the Show Before the Show podcast with uh, John Schneider, the manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats in, in the Blue Jays organization. Uh, John, how's the season treating you so far? You guys are five games in, but uh, how's the first week?
0: Uh, so far, so good, you know. Um, we got some really good starting pitching. Uh, bullpen's been fantastic. And I uh, really like the way the lineup's kind of working together. So um, kind of really couldn't ask for a better start. 5-0, um, and oh, all the games on the road, so we're we're looking forward to finishing this road trip and, and getting home.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned your record there, 5-0. and oh. uh, As far as I can tell, you guys are the only ones who are 5-0 and oh in all of the minor leagues next to Del Marva. You're the only team still undefeated who have played five games or more. Um, you know, what is it like to get off to this start? I, I know, you know, it's all about development. A lot of guys like to talk about, you know, it's not where you begin the season, it's where you end. But... What is it like to, to win this many games this quickly uh,
0: with this young group? Uh, it's really nice, you know. I think that everyone kind of knew this was a uh, you know a team that a lot of people are kind of keeping an eye on, and you gotta you know the, the same could be said with this team last year with the guys that were here, and um, they got off to a little bit of a slow start. So I think it's nice to kind of get off to this start and kind of get everyone comfortable and get their feet underneath them, and um, I think it kind of manages some expectations too, and when everyone's kind of doing their part. So it's um, it's definitely, you know, winning and development hand in hand for sure. And it's nice to kind of uh, back up all the work they've been putting in uh, during the day with with some victories at night.
1: Yeah, and what what was your message for this club coming into the season? You know, you mentioned how much talent there is here and a lot of people put them on lists. I know we did as a team to watch for the year with Vlad Guerrero Jr. there, Bo Bichette there, Sean Reed Foley, Max Pentecost. You go down the roster, yeah, you know, what were you telling them before the season, and has this start helped your message or kind of hurt it when you're trying to say maybe don't get your heads too big? You know, stay humble, and then all of a sudden
0: everybody starts out five and zero. Well, I think I mean the message that, that I gave them before the season was definitely manage expectations and and control the controllable. Um, you know, try to come to come to the field every day and get better a little bit, uh, and 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 kind of do the same thing the next day. So. Definitely, I, I think when you get up to a start like this, it just builds confidence. Um, I don't think, you know, with personalities that are on this team, both on the pitching side and the offensive side, you don't have to worry about um, managing egos or anything like that. You know, they're going to continue to do things the right way. And I think it's just, uh, it's fun to see them, you know, kind of feed off each other, you know, one through nine in the lineup and then the first five starters, the way that they're kind of. You know quietly competing with one another and trying to trying to kind of pick up where the next guy left off is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, a lot of the, the guys who are on this team were with you last year in Dunedin. That team ended up winning an FSL co-championship. I know a co-championships not exactly like a full championship but what did that do ending the year on that note do for some of these guys to kind of carry that into the offseason and then carry forth into the
0: beginning you know week months to come uh, here in 2018? Well, I think whenever you're playing meaningful games at the end of the season in the minor leagues, it's it's fantastic for the players. You know, you can't really replicate those situations and uh, anxiety level and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, a lot of these guys that were um, with me down there last year have been through, you know, being that they've been through that, I think kind of just makes it a little bit easier to take this next step to double A and. When they are put in situations, you know, early in the year, middle of the year, they've kind of been there and done that a little bit. So uh, to me, you know, when you talk about, you know, winning and playoff atmosphere in the minor league, it's really, really great in terms of development because, you know, it's just it's just something you really can't recreate if you're doing early work or if you're in spring training or whatever it is. It kind of you really get to see, you know, what you got um, in terms of a compete factor with the guys. So it's been it's been cool. You know, to have them go through that and then, and then be up here together.
1: And, and I want to get into some of those players here in a little bit, but just first, kind of a more personal question. You know, you're making the jump to double A. A lot of people talk about for the players, the toughest jump you can make is from Class A advanced to double A. Um, but what about for manager? What are, what are some of the new challenges you're finding you know, with the Fisher Cats, um, New level, uh, some of the same faces, but it, what, what is different about the level from a manager standpoint?
0: Well, as you move up, you know, the game's going to get a little bit faster, you know, it's every level, obviously, and just being prepared, you know, being prepared, and to me, the biggest thing, especially early, especially early is handling your bullpen correctly and making sure you get guys, you know, in when they need to get in and rest when they need to get rest so you're not, you know, scrambling here, you know, a week into the season. So um, it's just kind of guys are a little bit older. They've been doing it a little bit longer. Um, so and the game's a little bit faster. That's it for me, really. I think as long as you're prepared, um, as long as you're in, in contact with your staff, you know, before, during, and after the game, it kind of, the game kind of takes care of itself, and as a manager, you kind of sit there and watch it unfold, and then, you know, that you have, you know, options, um, and the game kind of just tells you what to do, you know, so, so far, so good, and, uh, but I'm looking forward to it, man. It's, it's been a fun couple years, and, you know, um, I'm sure it'll be, you know, a fun challenge for me this year. Cool.
1: Well, one of the uh, fun challenges you have is, is dealing with, like we said, one of the most talented rosters in, in the minors, but um, two really young guys in Vlad Guerrero Jr. and, and Bo Bichette in your infield. I want to start with Vlad. I know you talked to one of my colleagues about him last night coming off his six RBI game, but uh, these are two back-to-back games he's now homered in. He had an absolute moonshot in Hartford over the weekend. I didn't even see it land in the video. Uh, and then homered again <laughs> yesterday in Trenton, uh, six RBIs, adding a double as well. Uh, you know last year he did a whole mess of things showed off one of the best hit tools in the minors walked more than he struck out uh, Is power the next thing to jump for him? And, and what are you guys talking about with him to kind of play more into his power? Obviously the size is there, but is the power still to come do
0: you think uh, as the season goes on? Yeah, I think so, you know, I think that he's still, you know, obviously the raw power is there You watch him hit DC and he can hit every ball out if he wants to and I think knowing when to kind of go for it, you know, the uh, his first home run at Hartford was a first pitch hitter, And the one yesterday was a 1-0 count fastball after a breaking ball. So I think for Vladdy, just understanding how pitchers are going to try to attack him and try to get him out. Um, I've said this so many times, but for you know for anyone really, but especially for a 19-year-old kid, he's so convicted to uh, his approach and then his plan each at bat. And, and when you talk to him, uh, the adjustments that he can make pitch by pitch are really... Um, are really uh phenomenal you know for, for a kid his age so we're we we do not really you know talk about power we don't really talk about mechanics with him i mean he's he can hit you know i think he's always going to hit and uh we kind of just talk about and let him tell us you know how he's approaching each of that uh, because guys are guys are coming in to try to specifically get him out and how he adjusts to that um you know will be different for him this year
1: yeah, and with him and and with Bo, obviously they have so big like name recognition at this point. You know, every, everybody's been reading up on them. Do you feel like Eastern League pitchers, you know, it's a small sample so far, just 5 games, but do you feel like they're attacking them differently than you were seeing last year in the FSL? I know it's a jump up, but a- after an offseason of kind of hype, you know, how do you f- see other pitchers going
0: after them knowing that they're they're in the lineup? So far it's been it's been Pretty similar. I mean, Hartford. The first game. After the first game, uh, there they they were really um, careful with Laddie, and I think that he was a little bit excited at the beginning of the year, and we saw him expand the zone just you know maybe a little bit. Um, but I think that they're they're kind of coming after him, and I think that you know the biggest thing is um, what they're going to see. You know, Bo and Vlad is that at this level, I think pitchers can use both sides of the plate a little bit more effectively with their fastball. That's going to be an adjustment to make, but. Uh, they've been, they've been kind of coming right after him. I mean, he got intentionally walked yesterday um, to load the bases, and but if you look at the lineup of the way it is now, I think you know after Vladdy you got Curiel, after him you got Pentecost, you got Vigio, and it kind of goes on down the road. So um, it's it's good it's good for, for these guys to kind of understand that it doesn't have to be them every at bat. Um, they can kind of pass the baton, and it, it's been it's been kind of as we expected. Yeah, for
1: sure. And uh, with Beau Bichette, he started out 0 for 4 in that first game, and then has multiple hits in every game after that. Um, I talked to him down in the spring. He, you know, seemed ready to go, re- ready to improve on a year in which he won a minor league batting title last year. Um, but what have you seen about him that's able to make adjustments not only game by game, but like this, but making the adjustments from you know the FSL to the Eastern League? uh he he says he doesn't really change his stance too much nobody's ever really tried to change his violent swing but what allows him to to handle each level as well as he has
0: well for one well if you look at his swing and his setup it is a little bit unorthodox sometimes you know people say that but he's so aware of what his body's doing in space and um what he needs to do in order to get into position to hit um so it's he's been um he wants to beat you so bad every day like a fierce competitor, um, so it's it's really kind of business as usual for him. Um, when, and you can kind of say that about both him and Vladdy, where they're just so convicted into what they're doing, and they've had success that they really don't have to do much in order to kind of you know get them on the or keep them on the right track, if that makes sense. They're they're convicted with what they're doing; they know it works for them, and you know we're kind of here to nudge them back on track if they happen to do get off.
1: Yeah, and both of those guys feature in that infield, and it's one of the most exciting infields, not just them alone, but you guys also have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gavan Biggio, and I know you're playing a little bit with that. I think Gurriel got some time at short the other day. Biggio got some time Mm -hmm. at first. How is that infield rotation kind of working itself out, and what kind of plan do you have or the Blue Jays have to make all these guys get both at-bats and time in the infield?
0: Well, I think you look at those four guys, you know, Bo Vlad, Gurriel, and Biggio, and you know, they're going to be the main four that are in there. Um, I think Bo and, 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 um, and Guriel will bounce a little bit between the middle, um, with a little bit more at short for Bo and more at second for Guriel. And first base is something new that's, uh, that's for Biggio this year, but he's taken to it quite well. He's also going to play for third base. So Bish be kind of all over the infield. You can, you can count on Vladdy at third base exclusively. And you know, it's just, you know, you mix it in the DH here and there. Um, and you go, I think it works out well for Viggio really because he's he can slide all over the infield, so it kind of keeps him in there pretty regularly as well. But that's the plan, you know, just trying to keep it a little bit consistent for for um, Mo, Vlad, and Guri. And uh, and Vigio's doing a little bit of everything,
1: cool. and. You mentioned Bo maybe getting some time at second. I know he did a little bit of that last year, but you also, just so I get this straight, you said Vlad he's gonna be at third base exclusively. So there's no plan to yeah. maybe get him some time first or anything like that. It's only at the hot corner? No, nope. Yep, yeah, nothing, nothing new uh, for now. He'll be at third base, yeah. Cool. Uh, and one other guy I wanna talk about uh, was Max Pentecost. Um, I think he's played two games for you so far. You know, he's coming off so many shoulder injuries in the past, but this is the first time he's getting a double A. Uh, trying to get him more time at, at catcher you know wh- what are you guys kind of planning with him what's the rotation kind of looking like for him at, as the you
0: know weeks come into the season as the season continues to progress so will his games I think we're taking it um, slow and, and cautious with him right now where it's kind of game on game off uh, in a couple of dhs here and there when we get home uh, but for right now it's Kind of a slow buildup, and he did an outstanding job in spring training, you know, getting himself ready to kind of do this. But um, we're really looking forward when, you know, when the season's up, shooting for, you know, somewhere around 80 games behind the plate, you know, which would be 60 more than what he caught last year. So he's difference maker both sides of the ball. Um, and I think once the season really gets rolling into May, you can really look for him to be really consistent, um, both offensively and defensively. So I think right now it's still kind of you know, feel out process for him and maybe tough to get a little bit of consistency at the plate or behind the plate when you're not in there exactly every day. So I think really once we get rolling, he'll be, uh, be right in the thick of all this too.
1: And just to ask about one pitcher on the other side of the ball, uh, Sean Reed Foley on Sunday uh, through 6-1 hit innings, striking out seven, walking three, a really strong season debut for him, obviously, but he's coming off. Uh, a really tough 2017 in which he had a 5.09 ERA. Uh, what are you guys kind of working on? What did he show you in that first start um, that's allowed him to get off on such a strong foot? And how much do you think he can kind of carry that going forward deeper into
0: April? Well, we kind of saw the Foley, you know, that we all know and expect, really. Um, we're keeping it very simple with him. You know, he's a young kid and he's a talented kid and things that we're stressing with him, staying over the baseball, pitching in safe zone and uh and make good misses when you have good misses when you do best so that's it really um he worked on that really hard in spring training and he'd be the first one to tell you it didn't go well or didn't go great you know he had some success but definitely room for improvement so he was thrilled to kind of get through that first start the way he did as were we for him so that's it those three things safe zones there with the ball and, and just trust your stuff so if he could bottle that up man um He's exciting, or as exciting as anyone we got. So uh, hopefully, just you know, step in the right direction for him.
1: And one other guy uh, on the pitching side, Jordan Romano. Uh, my colleague Kelsey Anigan thought he could be a breakout guy this year. Pitched with you guys in Dunedin exclusively last year. Um, you know, what kind of work did he show you guys last year that you think can translate
0: really well to Double A and against Double A uh, hitters? Well, for one, he's got the stuff. He's got the fastball slider. And um, what really improved towards the end of last year and into the spring training this year was his changeup, being more confident, and throwing it, you know, to both righties and lefties. And when he's got that going, he's got all three. You know, he can he can hump up when he needs to with his fastball and slider. But when he can throw a changeup in there, I think that's what's going to, you know, help separate him, um, get to the order, you know, three times instead of two, or something like that. So, um, he's got everything he needs now it's just a matter of throwing that pitch consistently and he should be just fine all
1: right, Well, right we'll leave you on this one kind of looking at the overall picture of the toronto system right now you know you played in the system before you've managed going back to 2009 gcl vancouver lansing dunedin basically every level of the low lower minors um you know how does this system compare now to where it was in the years past that you've been in it Um, You know, it it seems as exciting as I've seen in in a number of years, but from where you sit, how does this compare to some of the other versions of
0: the Blue Jay system? I think the coolest thing, you know, that's a great question, I think the coolest thing right now is we're really bridging the gap towards the big leagues with the talent that we have in the system. I think the last couple years have been really, really good drafts, um, both baseball players and, you know, just kind of competitors as a whole. So if you look a couple years ago when we were young and we were, you know, a few years away and now all of a sudden you know we got some pretty good guys here in AA, some pretty good guys triple-a that are knocking on the door and it makes it you know when you look at it as a whole it makes the whole thing a little bit more sustainable a little bit more realistic when these guys are kind of not in the uh in the rearview mirror saying oh well wait till this guy comes you know they've done a good job of working and developing themselves um to kind of get pretty close so to me that's that's the exciting thing you know you got to still have a good core group in the big leagues and you got a, another good core group coming up and um, and there's still some really good young kids too down in down at the lower level so it when you look at that um, it definitely makes for an exciting time I think here and um, you know hopefully we can kind of keep it rolling
1: yeah and just one more one just to piggyback off that um, you know how do you keep guys kind of humble at double-a because you know we've seen guys get called up from double-a not necessarily in Toronto sure. but like all over the place how do you kind of keep them from keeping half an eye on the major league situation, saying, "Oh, so and so's
0: injured; it's my time now." Well, I think that that's going to be natural a little bit once you kind of get here. They all know that it, you know, gets more realistic. You know, some may be farther off than others, but you know, I think that you don't really have to manage those expectations until you see that they happen to be a problem. You know, everyone obviously really wants to play in the big leagues. Got a couple of guys on the team that have spent a good amount of years in the big league, so that helps with the guys that haven't been there. And you look at Nick Zepish and Greg Reslow that are here right now, and they can kind of help, you know, manage those expectations and and those emotions for some guys. So I really don't, I mean, I want the guys to to move up. I want the guys to want to get called up from here, you know. So until it really looks like a problem, we don't really, um, we kind of don't really worry about that. You know, that's the ultimate goal. And if that's, you know, what they're thinking to get there, then I'm all for it. Very cool.
1: Well, John Schneider, thanks so much for joining this week on the Mill Podcast. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. We'll, we'll see how long you guys can keep this winning streak going.
0: Great. Right, thanks, Sam. I appreciate it.
2: Welcoming in Benjamin Hill for the first week of in-season promo and other thing discussion. Hello, Ben.
3: Hello, Tyler, and hello, uh, sitting to my left, Sam. Hello Ben. I like how you're painting a picture
1: for everybody, so they know That's exactly good. what we are. Yeah, it's like football. When they always say the team's going left to right, like that doesn't really matter to me if I'm listening on the radio. But no, are not
3: painting the picture. Right. Man. I want all our listeners to imagine you and me in a uh, brightly lit but fairly nondescript conference room with uh, brick walls on the uh, window side of the of the room.
2: Anything exposed <laughs> like wood? I like that about Chelsea Market.
3: Not what? in this place. No. Yeah, exposed not brick in this room. Okay. Um, but beyond that it's a kind of ugly room there's a <laughs> big uh, you know heating duct ventilation system running across the ceiling and uh, pretty dirty fluorescent lighting um, They really need to clean uh, <laughs> these fluorescent lights so I just want everyone to uh, envision this and, and and to envision you Tyler uh, sitting in your palatial estate, yeah, thousands of miles away. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, thousands of miles away. This is our new brand. Our new brand is just backhandedly making comments about the Chelsea Market cleaning staff from now on. That's what we're gonna. Oh do no no, no 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 no.
3: This is this is not day to day. I have nothing against the Chelsea Market cleaning staff. This is um, you know, special project cleaning work that needs to be done, and probably because it's yeah. so close to the ventilation system, it's yeah, uh, then it's like probably a gets a lot lot That's dirtier true. than uh, most true. lighting systems, That's and true. um. Now Sam has gotten up to close a window, so we are making conversation while Sam meanders back to the seat so we can continue this. We're off to a rollicking start, guys, but the picture has been painted. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been here the whole time.
2: At least it's open window weather there, which like last week, it was, you know, like winter apocalypse again in New York City, but um, we're back to normal as the regular season has kicked off for 2018, and we got a really cool thing to talk about right out of the gate. The uh, Kannapolis Intimidators, the Class A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox and the South Atlantic League, um, last week, just prior to opening day, announced Minor League Baseball's first fully dedicated sensory-friendly space called Cam's Clubhouse, which prioritizes inclusion for all children and is specifically inspired by and sort of geared toward the son of president slash gm of the intimidators brian radel named cam who was diagnosed with autism he's now three years old is cam and ben tell us about this because this is such a fascinating initiative for the intimidators to have taken on
3: right i talked to uh, brian radel today uh we're speaking here on uh tuesday and this is a story that'll be up on uh, thursday uh very shortly um but brian radel um you know, he's been in minor league baseball for I don't know how many years, but quite a long period of time. Uh, worked for the Wilmington Blue Rocks, worked for the Lowell Spinners, and uh, this past October he took on this president GM role with Kannapolis. And um, you know, I think like any time you you take over a leadership role with a new organization, you know, you're going to meet with your staff and you're going to look around the ballpark, um, you know, for areas that can better be utilized. And um, so they were doing that, just kind of taking their own ballpark tour, as it were, to, to kind of figure out what things they could do for the upcoming season to um, you know to better utilize their space. And um, up on the upper level in the suite sections, you know, he he thought, you know, this would be perfect for a, uh, you know, for what later became cam's clubhouse, uh, a, you know, a sensory friendly space. And um, you know, teams have, done this intermittently through the years you know maybe on certain nights dedicated a sensory friendly space uh, i know there's some teams who've uh, had sensory kits uh, available uh, for fans for for young fans who might need such a thing but in terms of having a dedicated space uh, this is the first time and so it's a it's just a good example of you know Brian Radel being there in his first year, uh, looking for new ways to do things, and then using his personal experience, you know, having a three-year-old uh, nonverbal uh, autistic son named Cam, uh, and that became Cam's clubhouse. Uh, so I had an interesting conversation with him today, and you can read about it in the story that will be on milb.com on Thursday. But you know, he was talking a little bit about how at first, you know, they were just going to call it a uh, sensory-friendly space, and he and his wife felt a little strange. About personalizing it and making it after his son, but you know he said basically you know that 's really what motivated me to do it and you know in minor league baseball, storytelling is a big element, so we want to tell a story and not just have a more generic name um, so it 's gotten a lot of good uh, publicity so far. I can definitely see it catching on uh, as the seasons go by, uh, teams with the space available doing this sort of thing, and uh, you know it 's great for the kids and also for their parents uh, who can take their kids to. Um, you know, who have special needs to a game, uh, knowing that there's somewhere to take them when things get overwhelming, because minor league baseball stadiums uh, for a special needs child can be overwhelming, if you think about uh, all the uh, between-inning songs and sound effects and yelling people, and uh, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, stimulation overload, uh, sort of by design in terms of the entertainment package, so to know that kids, if they get overwhelmed, can go somewhere, and their parents feel safer taking them, it's just a win-win for everybody.
1: And it, How does this work exactly? I mean, what is a sensory friendly space mean exactly for folks? And, you know, is it a big room? Is it like kind of a side room? How does exactly does this fit into the ballpark in Kannapolis?
3: Right. I don't know the square footage of the room, but um, it is up in the suite area and uh, there will be pictures in the story. And I think the, you know, the number one criteria is a, is calm and quiet. So there's some kids toys, um, you know, some art on the wall. Um, Just a place that's going to be a lot more low-key that they can decompress, play, and not feel overwhelmed. And he said one of the walls, um, they're encouraging the kids who visit Cam's clubhouse uh, to sign or scribble on the walls. And he said just after the first few home games, they have a dozen or so signatures. So there'll be you know, autographs, as it were, of all the kids who make use of this room as the season goes on. Um, But yeah, just a calm, quiet space uh, that looks a lot like – you know elements of what you'd consider things that you consider in a child's bedroom i mean minus the bed and furniture and whatnot but in terms of the the um toys and the overall aesthetic just uh a soothing place for them to go.
2: It's a really, really cool project, and uh, there's more information about it. You can find it on the uh, Intimidator site. If you are going to an Intimidator's game, you can kind of get all the details about it. But obviously, Ben, with uh, a ton of info on that, and I would imagine this is something that a lot of other teams are going to at least try to emulate in some form or fashion because it's a, it's a fantastic idea and it doesn't take a lot. Obviously, there's going to need to be space somewhere in the ballpark that can be dedicated to it, and sometimes the real estate inside of a stadium is is at a premium in and of itself. But I would think. Other other teams are going to see this and go, yeah, that's something we want to be a part of.
3: Yeah, absolutely. As you said, like everything in minor league baseball, you know, nothing is one size fits all. There's just some things that some teams can't do for space reasons or who knows what reason. Uh, So, you know, I wouldn't expect to see it everywhere, but um, certainly in my travels, I've been to plenty of ballparks where, the space is available where there's more suites than than demand for suites or where there's just whether it's a conference room that's underutilized or just some area of the ballpark Um, i think a lot of teams if they look creatively could find something because it doesn't have to be a huge space but just some more safe and quiet and well appointed um you know for what those children need
2: so cool, and kudos to the Intimidators for uh, for making that a reality this season in 2018. And if you're in the Kannapolis area and uh, you want to, you know, check it out, it's um, just a really, really neat initiative. And so uh, good on you, Kannapolis Intimidators. Um, ben, let's talk about uh, some promos coming up. Um, Copa de la Diversión is underway. The Round Rock Express became the Chupacabras over the weekend. Uh, but promo preview is going to look a little bit different in 2018. Um, give us uh, kind of a rundown of these initial promos. And, and what we're going to see from you this season,
3: right? Um, well, you know, I've been doing promo preview in various configurations for pretty much as long as I've had this job, and it's essentially the column that led to me doing this job, you know, inadvertently many years ago. Um, but you know, one thing it's always had is that it's um, in, in other years that it's it's always been. Well, here's what's taking place this week. Um, and this year I'm using the column, which is now running every Monday, to just highlight maybe more, more more, of different trends that are taking place or to maybe look back at something that just happened. The weekly column is going to be a little more um, – it doesn't have to follow so it's hard and fast rules so this this week it, it looks at like copa de la diversion diversion, diversion. man my spanish <laughs> needs diversion oh my goodness my spanish there until less yeah old. my spanish needs work but um it looks at the first 10 teams to debut which uh kicked off with uh round rock express as the chupacabras as, as tyler mentioned and today tuesday april 10th the uh patucket enters the the scene with the uh Osos Polares, I believe it is. Polaris. The pol- Osos Polaris, yes. Um, please tweet at me or send me an email, uh, benjamin.hill at mlb.com to correct my Spanish. Um, but So check out Promo Preview for, for more info on that. Um, but just also so I'm keeping track of the day-to-day on Twitter, at Ben's Biz, and then on the blog, Ben's Biz blog, uh, to the extent that it's possible, I'm trying to do daily posts of of interesting things uh, taking place that night or look back at something interesting that might have happened the night before. So, you know, talking to you on Tuesday, we do have the Osos Polaris, we have um – you know I checked in with the Reading Fightin' Phils about their unused ticket promo in which fans can use any ticket from any era of uh, any unused ticket from any era of Reading professional baseball history to get in free to the game I really uh, hope
2: somebody with the with the Fightins keeps track of the craziest ones that they see cuz I would think somebody's going to bring in something that's weird and very old I-
3: I hope so. It's taking place tonight and tomorrow too. As of yesterday, the, uh, oldest they got was from 2003. So kind of cool, but not, not epic or anything like, do like that. Do they take the ticket
1: from you? Like if you have like a ticket from like 1978 that you've been keeping in a scrapbook and you want to put back in the scrapbook, are they going to physically take the ticket or do they just see it, acknowledge it and let you in?
3: I am not a hundred percent sure. My understanding, I mean, the parameters of the promo is they would take that ticket. Um, but, you know, maybe if it's something very old that you could work out a deal. I do not know. Okay. Contact the Reading and Phils for more information on their unused <laughs> ticket night promo. But, uh, you know, I wanted to check in with them. Uh, You know, tonight, uh, Tuesday night, the Nashville Sounds home opener is taking place, and there's going to be a new country music legends racer that's going to be debuted. Uh, This is a mascot race, and currently they have George Jones, Reba McIntyre, and Johnny Cash racing uh, every night at every home game, and they're going to add a fourth this year, so that's pretty exciting. We might talk about that next week. Home opener in Fresno, you know, they're starting because it's a Thursday, and they play as the tacos for every Thursday home game. They're playing their home opener as the tacos in their – taco. I don't know how to say it. It's like tequila sunrise, but with tacos uniforms. It's tacos Tuesdays, right? Or Thursdays. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the home opener is Tuesday. But then uh, going forward, it's gonna be I believe it will be Thursday. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. And uh, the clock. Colorado Springs Sky Sox, you know, it's their last year's triple A. So they're having throwback uniform uh, promotions all year long, celebrating the history of um, Colorado Springs baseball thus far. And uh, Tuesday, April 10th, they're suiting up as the Colorado Springs Millionaires. So a pretty cool team name and so on and so forth. So, I could go on and on about what's taking place today, yesterday, um, the day before. But please follow me on Twitter at Ben's Biz. Check out the blog, Ben's Biz blog. And uh, I hope to stay up to date on this as much as I can.
2: Ben, the road trip schedule now out and released, and you can find all the details of uh, blogs.com. But in addition to just you going on the road, it is designated eater solicitation time, and uh, you got to find – have you found anybody for any of these trips? Because you got trips starting relatively soon, but um, first off, have you found any? Second off, how many of those are podcast listeners because they're the coolest? And uh, third, where do you still need them?
3: Okay, well, here's the system. My, my, I'm not going on a, a trip until May 4th in Delmarva. That's the first date. And I'm talking to you guys here on uh, Tuesday, April 10th. Thanks, Sam. Just pointed to the date on his computer because <laughs> I clearly don't know what date is. So through April 20th, you can email me and apply to be a designated eater at one of the places I'm visiting. Go to the blog for the post that has all the available dates. And uh, so anytime through April 20th, every single place I'm visiting this year, from Delmarva Shorebirds on May 4th all the way through Grand Junction uh, Rockies on September 4th, every spot. Uh, is listed in that blog post. So no one has been selected yet. And I will continue to get emails uh, for more than a week from now uh, because I didn't want to make it first come first served, I wanted to to see who was available and then try to choose the ones who seem the funniest, uh, most diverse, most whatever have you. It's a, not an exact science, um, but I've gotten a couple dozen emails so far, um, kind of concentrated in certain areas. So certain a lot of places are still going to be wide open. I'm uh, definitely some people who've said um, they've heard about it on the podcast, um, and of course I, I love all of you. And if you're listening to this right now, I love you and. And please get in touch to be a designated eater, go to the blog, Ben's Biz Blog, check out the post, Calling All Designated Eaters 2018, and uh, see if uh, one of those dates works for you, and get in touch. And I do want to emphasize, one, I love the people get in touch, um, because I jokingly say, send me an email about why you want to be a designated eater in 50 to 500,000 words. Uh, No one hits 500,000, but people really take this as an opportunity, I think, just to talk about how much they love minor league baseball and how much they sort of identify with the world I cover. And I really appreciate hearing from everyone. I I really and uh, truly do. But that said, most of those people are probably, you know, let's be honest, white men in their 30s and 40s and 50s. That is great. I mean, I happen to be part of that demographic as well. Um, But I also do want to find more women, more younger fans, uh, minorities. Um, So I'm trying to reach out (laughs) as much as I can. Uh, just so so it's uh, not the same demographic uh, among dem- uh, among designated eaters. You know, these are um, the issues I'm dealing with right now.
2: So get in touch. Uh, the blog, again, is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And you, too, can be somebody stuffing your face with some of the best food in minor league baseball. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at bensbiz. And uh, thanks, Ben. We'll talk to you next week.
3: Yes, Tyler, you will. And uh, in return, I will talk to you and I will talk to Sam Dykstra sitting to my left. And who knows what direction he'll be sitting from me next week. Tune in <laughs> next time. Tune
2: in for the thrilling <laughs> conclusion. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Our thanks again to the manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats, John Schneider, for joining the show a couple of segments ago, and Benjamin Hill last segment, who, again, you can find on Twitter, at Ben's Biz, and submit all of your designated eater um, audition tapes and um, PowerPoint presentations and whatever else you have to uh, plead your case to be a designated eater. Um, John Schneider, pilot. Of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats is the guy whose team I am picking. Um, thanks to Sam who graciously let me have this one. For what I'm watching on Milb TV this week, coming up on Saturday, um, one of the most exciting lineups in all of minor league baseball, maybe the most exciting lineup in all minor league baseball, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats will be home to take on the Hartford Yard Goats. Eat it up. The Yard Goats uh, will be sending out Peter Lambert, the Colorado Rockies' number five ranked prospect, who actually threw well in his first time against New Hampshire. I think when six. Scoreless innings against New Hampshire, but Hartford did not fare well in that series. It was a sweep in four games for the Fisher Cats on the road in Hartford. So we'll see if the Yard Goats can get any of that back. Uh, hitting the road to New Hampshire to Delta Dental Stadium—is that it? Yes. In New Hampshire, yes. Delta Dental. Couldn't remember if it was Delta Dental or some other
1: nationwide dental chain.
0: Either
2: way, it'll be smiles all around. It'll be- <laughs> Same who you
1: got. Uh, I will not actually be able to watch milb.tv TV this weekend. Uh, the reason why we're coming out a day early. Uh, this week for the second week in a row, we should note that we're not on a Wednesday schedule now. It's just been two good weeks. But um, I am going down to a wedding in Tampa this weekend that I am actually officiating. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, but this weekend should be a lot of fun for uh, Hunter Green, Is I think, is going to be starting again this weekend. He made his full season debut for Dayton, uh, Class A Dayton in the Cincinnati Red system on Monday night. Uh, did pretty well. Lasted three innings, got eight strikeouts, which is pretty nasty when you think about it. Uh, gave up a couple of runs, was a little shaky early on, ended up loading the bases, I think, in his final inning, and got three strikeouts all on breaking pitches. Um, so some definite stuff to learn on, so, to grow on for him. Uh, so I'll be interested to see what he takes away from that and what, you know, what he puts forth into his next outing um and, and if he le- leans more on that breaking ball i mean it was so good in that first night you know we talked so much about his heater i think it was up to 98 touch and tr- triple digits a couple times in that debut uh what can he do you know kind of for an encore in terms of velocity but also what has he learned about his breaking ball what is you know is that going to become a premier strikeout pitch for him we'll have to see um they're not listing him in the probable pitchers yet but since he pitched on Monday, you can probably guess that he'll be playing Saturday or Sunday uh, at Great Lakes, which are both MILB.TV games. If anything were to happen, um, they're also playing next Tuesday at home against South Bend. That's also an MILB.TV game. So you're pretty much guaranteed that the next Hunter Green start, you'll be able to watch. Um, So even if I'm not able to see it, TV, if you're subscribed, you can go back, find the archives, go back and watch Hunter Green. It should be a lot of fun if not only just to see what it's like to see a young teenager throw uh, triple digits, but also to just see where he is in terms of his other pitches. So uh, he'll be somebody I'm sure we'll bring up in these mill TV previews a couple times this season, but uh, for the first time, watch Hunter green while you can.
2: And if you are not subscribed, you can subscribe, don't worry, at MILB.TV. And uh, you can check out all the best and brightest minor league baseball this year. I know today the Lakewood Blue Claws announced that all 70 of their home games will be on MILB.TV for this season. So we keep adding teams by the year. And, uh, yeah, if you're a Phillies fan, now you can watch uh, prospects from the Class A level at full season all the way up through uh, A and the big leagues. And um, that's what we do at MILB.TV. So check it out. And uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the show before the show. Next week week we will um be back to see who else has tracked down sam or tracked down ben rather to eat a whole bunch of food and sam since you are going on some of these trips with ben i would imagine you can't serve as just full-on designated eater but you know like in the british government they have like a shadow secretary for like <laughs> a certain position could you be like the shadow designated like you just do all the same things just to keep an eye on the designated yeah eater? and then i'm
1: just going to comment on ben's blogs just telling him why his designated eater was wrong <laughs> in a pure like a british point. house of commons way i'll just be like razzling and dazzling and just be like hey no 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 <laughs> oh man please take video of that <laughs> put it up on
2: the about last night for zam dykeser i'm tyler mom we'll talk to you next week